Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Yeah, welcome into our neighbors in the north. John Von Tobel, Adam Hill, filling in for Steve Cofield. Cofield's going to be along shortly. He's out in Fresno as uh, UNLV, of course, has a road game against the Fresno State Bulldogs. Great airport in Fresno. Great airport. What are you, what are you smiling about? I'm having a discussion with somebody who forgot who you were. Oh, are you talking to him right now? <laughs> yeah, he said sorry. Did he really say sorry? <laughs> yeah. Did you tell him or what? No, I think he heard. He was still on when we were talking. Oh, about okay, it. all right. Yeah. That's hilarious. So, yeah. for those who don't know, Eric Eager, who is a great mind in the world of uh, pro football, and um, you can find him on Twitter at Eric Eager underscore. Works for Sumer Sports. I even knew what his like his company name was. You didn't even know what it was. I did. And he greeted Sumer you. Sports, I said. But he said goodbye to Adam and not to me. Like by name, as it should be. Yeah, by name. Very and prominent figure. For those who don't know, like I've I've interacted with Eric quite a bit. We follow each other on Twitter. <laughs> Maybe didn't realize. Maybe he thought he is being me. So, such a high profile guy. There's no way I'm talking to him on local radio right now. And he just said hi to you. It's probably true. Whatever, whatever I can do to make myself feel a little bit better. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents. The Big Four at four. Number four. So I have a statement to make really quickly, and it ties into what we're going to talk about here. Right. I think that Xavier Pope, who joins us on Thursdays, had a statement that I heard and I hadn't really thought of before, but I realized that I completely 100% agree with. Tiger King sucked. The documentary was not that good. And the only reason we all liked it is because we were trapped in our houses for that time, like that time, and we um, had nothing else going on. I remember even watching it and going, really, you guys really liked it? I watched the whole thing, but I was not as into it as everybody else. So yes and no. You're right. It was, it was a construct of the time. Everybody's at home just uh, tweeting. Everybody's at home, and it was, it was a perfect social media discussion right. type thing. Um, all those things are true. Like If it hit now, would it be the same? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think that's fair. I think all that, all that's good. Um, but I, I do think it was, it was quality. I think it was, it was solid. I think it was fine. I actually feel like it, it, it was long, which is, which helped also during that time. Um, I, have you, are you on a Kai the Hatchet Wheel the Hitchhiker? It's on my list. I want to watch <laughs> it so bad. I'm into that kind. Of, is it good? It's short. Okay, good. It's only an hour and twenty. It's not all like right. seven parts or anything. Uh, it's it's to me it's a it's a much better discussion things in ter- thing in terms of how social media and reality television have created this like rush to celebrity that nobody vets anybody right. <laughs> no one knows anything about anybody yeah and you can just prop somebody up and be like oh we probably should have done that yep so I, I mean I think that I think that is a very intriguing. Like I don't, I don't know that the documentary is great. I think it's it's very interesting and thought provoking, but it's a it's a really good discussion point more so than it is you know a documentary. So we bring up Tiger King because one of the characters that emerged and that was Carol Baskin. Sure. Um, and in that the documentary, worst. we learned yeah she kind of sucked. Um, Alleged murder. That uh, she had you know, her husband had been declared legally dead in 2002. He had gone missing for five years. So of course, in the documentary, kind of skews it a little bit. You, you totally think that she killed him. You totally think that she had him done in. Like, they, they do, like, close-ups on the Tigers whenever they talk about his disappearance and all that kind of stuff. They totally make it seem like she could have killed him, fed him to the she Tigers. She All done. Turns out she didn't. Did Don Lewis really actually turn up in Costa Rica alive? Uh, sure. 
You don't I, believe in I him? I still think he's dead. Or Don Lewis. Did I say Tom? Yeah, I said Don I, Lewis. Yeah. I think he was eaten by tigers. So I don't know what you're talking about. Don Lewis, the uh, the man in question, has apparently turned up and has been, uh, I guess, living in Costa Rica. Bastion revealed that Homeland Security had been in touch to confirm they uncovered his whereabouts. Quote, they said, my husband Don Lewis is alive and well in Costa Rica, and yet all this drama has been made about me having something to do with his disappearance. She's lying. She's, I always knew that she was a good woman. If you, okay. Would, if you had killed your spouse, not, not that you would, ever? If I own tigers, she's going to the tigers. Wouldn't it be in your best interest if people suspected you and the body was never found for you to be like, she was found. Well, they, 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 she's invoking Homeland Security. I feel like that's. She got, Have she they got, come out and confirmed <laughs> that yet? Do they need to? They need all the press conference, ladies and gentlemen. I, we got him. He was found because a tiger died, and they found him inside the body of the tiger. <laughs> that's where he was found. Now, well, he'd be a digestive. Is now. it totally believable that if you, <laughs> he's, he's in Josh McDaniel's toilet after Jim Mersey <laughs> ate the tiger uh, on his counter? Good. Um, I don't even remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah. Like, if if you were married to Carol Baskin, wouldn't it make sense that you would try to escape? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, if I was married to Carol Baskin, I think I'd try to find every way out. The only reason he's not inside a tiger is because he left. Like, he would have been. I think, And I think it's fair to disparage her as a potential murderer if he would have stayed. I wonder how he faked it. He just flew. I mean, he got away. Pretty, I mean, Dumped the plane. It's pretty... It's pretty bad if he just literally just left. Like you can't find him. I don't blame him. I, well, no, I don't. Blame Although him. I would have, I would have thought he would have turned up during the height of the Tiger King. <laughs> Somebody parade. wouldn't have seen him. They'd be like, "Hey, uh, how do you say Tiger King in Spanish?" They would have just yelled it at him. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, El Rey de los Tigres would it be something like that. I don't know. Is that <laughs> sure. right? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Right. I looked at Angel. He's not inventing. Yeah, he doesn't. Know. He doesn't listen to the show. Number three. College football recruiting is awesome. And this whole deal with money now exchanging hands has been fantastic. Um, we mentioned this yesterday from a legal standpoint, but Jaden Rashada, uh, a quarterback, the number 27 recruit in the 2023 class, signed with Florida in December, asked for his release from his uh, letter of intent Tuesday. Florida granted the request on Friday because it's, um, it's been wild, I guess, a few weeks that he turned it down. He wanted to get out. $13 million fell through. I'm out. Yeah, it's out, and, and that is something to watch for, for sure, that – you can make if you're a college. By the way, it's not the college that does it. You have to have a right, like basically a shadow organization that runs the NIL money for these programs, which is going to just get wild. It's going to get wild, more and more wild through the years. But if you if you make this offer and the kid is you know he signed at Miami, and you say, hey, look, thirteen million, thirteen million bucks on the table. Just flip your commitment. There's nothing that binds you on that. Of course. So, like, they can just tell you that. Then you sign your letter of intent, and then you're stuck. Like, th- these are rules. If you're going to continue this way, which I think we're going to, and I I think it's very, very good to have an outlet for the players to make money for sure, but there also has to be something that locks in their money. You can't lie to them. And we don't know for sure that that's what happened. There was We don't know that there was a guarantee. It sounds like he was under the belief that he was promised $13 million if he flipped his commitment, and then he flipped his commitment, and nothing. Right, like that is messed up. That needs to be addressed. And that, and that's I want to say really quickly because a lot of people are like, "Oh, this kid, he's got terrible, you know, people behind him." And no, if you're told you get 13 million, and then all of a sudden it's not there, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, like the kid should not be like people are crucifying this kid because that's the easy thing to do. That shouldn't be the case. 
Yeah, I, I would I would totally agree. And and look, you, there's no guarantee that there's NFL money at the end, right? You assume that if you go and have a good career and you continue to play at the level you're playing and you're as talented as you are, that you're going to get a contract. By the way, no certainly no guarantee you're going to make 13 million in the NFL. Right. Like th that is that is money that you probably sh not probably you should be taking. You should say yes. I will take thirteen million dollars to come play for your school. You should. So why would you get upset at that kid? Now the people to get upset with are the people that made him misunderstand or lied or misled or whatever to say this was here if you switch your commitment. But I don't think it's on the kid at all. Number two. So as as the off season moves along for some of these teams that have been eliminated, we get uh, this is my favorite part about sports. People like you, journalists. Sure. sure. Right. I love the. After season, after like meltdown in a certain season, you get the story, right? Hey, what was happening behind the scenes? A couple years ago, we got like the Clipper story, right? Where Kawhi was taking his helicopter from like San Diego and all that stuff. And people were like, what's going on in the bubble? So we get a really right, a good write up from The Athletic about what happened with the offense, what happened with Mike LaFleur, why he decided to leave, and what's happening with Zach Wilson. And essentially, I don't think anybody's surprised. It paints a negative picture of Zach Wilson that Mike LaFleur had to essentially dumb down the offense for Wilson. Now, to be fair, there were a couple. There was a wide receiver quoted in there that said, we'll say it was a guy who spent time with them in training camp, according to the piece, that said essentially routes had different names in different sets and that he had never seen that before in an NFL offense. Right, so like this is I, I'm, I'm putting this super simply. A post route would have one term in one offensive set, but it have another term in another offensive set. So overly complicated is what this receiver would say, right? And Wilson would say the same thing because apparently they had to cut down a lot of jargon and stuff for him to get it done. Well, it could also be, and and I think that there was a story similar to this that was published about Aaron Rodgers a few weeks ago, um, and and the way he addressed it, he didn't directly address it, but one of the things he said. And I'm just I'm just making this leap. There's obviously nothing tying this. It's just something that I, when I hear this, I think about it. Is that this most exact thing was said that there was like different different play calls, different name calls for different plays, and that he didn't teach all the players all the routes and all this stuff. And Aaron Rodgers said, "Yeah, he was like, you're here for training camp. I don't know if you're going to be around. I don't need to change my entire offense when you're gone and on another another team that we're playing because you know all of the plays." You need you know what you need to know, right. and when you're here on the team, then you'll know something more. So it's possible that that's the case in in this one, right? Where Lafleur maybe wasn't going to tell everyone all the jargon, all the names of all the routes, and maybe change it because this guy might not be here for the season. That's certainly possible. But when these things do come out, it also is, you know, wait, while you can choose to believe as much or as little as you want about this, like there are people talking. These reports don't get made up. That's well, the key thing. Do oh, they? So, well, they're well, Mike. Depending on what, what source of media you choose. Let's, uh, let's listen to Jordan Schultz, who I think is at the score now that he works for, um, who is a guy who has broken some stories in the past and had this interesting nugget on Pat McAfee's show about the thought of Zach Wilson and the locker room and how they feel about him. There would be a mutiny if Zach Wilson was QB1 again. It's not going to happen. Uh, I don't know if they're going to trade him. Um, they, they've said they, they're not actively going to. They're not going to get a lot for him. But I can tell you, and speaking to some players on the team, he, the, what he, his approach or lack thereof was not well regarded. There, there's, there's some Kyler Murray to that situation where oh. everyone knows this guy's super talented. He could be the franchise, but you want to see a lot more. And whether it's late to meetings, 
screwing around in meetings, not having the, the, the right attitude, that, that's what I've gathered. So Zach Wilson essentially not focused on the gig. Oh. There's been a lot of pushback since. And McAfee, again, he was on Pat McAfee's show, has since come out and said, our sarses, or how whatever he does, his, his Don thing, whatever. Yeah. Pittsburgh accent. Yeah. Our sarses have said that that, lo- that report is complete bunk. <laughs> and the great part about McAfee is he also said, we're waiting for Schultz to respond. Yeah. He, he, likes, to, he likes to play the back and forth. Right. He's, he's good at this media game. I haven't seen Schultz respond, but this is what you get every time. And look, what, I'm not even saying Schultz making it up. Maybe heard from one person who doesn't right. like Zach Wilson. Oh, that's that's and that's and that's what I mean by this. When I when I said somebody's talking, that means somebody talked to right. somebody talked to him and said, "Hey, this is the case." Now, does that mean it's true? Not always, but it's not coming from nowhere. Because if you're a good journalist, though, and that's the problem with this is you don't take it from one person, right? You don't just take one sure. thing and run with it. Sure, you got to corroborate it with multiple sources. Sure, absolutely. And and in this case. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. Maybe maybe five guys told him. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. Sure. Maybe five players. Maybe four players told him this is true, and the coaching staff might say it's not. And so it it could also be both ways, where you you could come out with a report that's you could say thirty players said this, and then four coaches tell you tell somebody else no that's not true. Well, like that doesn't mean somebody's lying. A, a reporter that just means. There's conflicting messaging throughout the team, and there's different opinions throughout the team. Number one. We'll stick with this theme on the other side. Why isn't Tom Brady, as a potential option for the New York Jets, a bigger story than him and his connection to the Vegas Raiders? Because wouldn't that be the best option to win a championship if you're Tom Brady? Is this a guy you could build a franchise around? Do you buy into this lightning-in-a-bottle stuff, or, or what do you make of him? When you turn the film on on his young quarterback, it's not that he's just throwing it to where Kyle Shanahan is telling him to throw it. He's creating throwing lanes with his mannerisms, his eyes, and the understanding of who the free players are in the defense and how to attack them. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Thanks to our guy Colin Cowherd for the analysis there on Brock Purdy. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Brock Purdy? No. Okay. I did have to fill out my uh, PFWA awards yesterday. You're a, you're a voter, huh? I am. Well, i got to influence you. I am. I filled it out already. So did, you vote, did you vote for Brock Purdy's Offensive Rookie of the Year? No. Okay, good, good. Uh, Michael I Gil- did vote for uh, Brock Purdy for uh, NFC Rookie Quarterback of the Year. Okay. I didn't know that was actually a thing. Sure. It's right. a lot of awards to fill out. Cowboys reporter for the Dallas Morning News, Michael Gelkin. Nice enough to give us some time here today. He's going to see Purdy uh, up close. Uh, so, Michael, I appreciate the time. Let's, let's stick on quarterback. We'll get to Purdy in a second. But I want to focus on the guy that you get to watch quite a bit, and that would be Dak Prescott. By PFF standards, the second highest individual passing grade and overall offensive grade for him of the season was on that Monday night game against Tampa Bay. So I'll just ask the simple question. If anything, what changed for Dak in that game against the Buccaneers? That's a great question. I think there were probably a number of things going on. By the way, hi, everybody. Yeah, what's up, man? What's, what's up? Talk with you. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, we, uh, we saw a completely different Dak Prescott uh, in the playoffs first opening round there uh, relative to that week 18 game against the Washington Commanders where he really, really struggled. I think when we've seen him at his worst, he's trying to do too much. He's being over-aggressive. There was a sequence there against the Commanders where he took a deep shot, put the theme, a consecutive 
passes. That just isn't like him. Uh, he was trying to, you know, score, you know, 15 points on one play type of deal instead of just kind of taking what the defense was giving him. So I think when, when he's at his worst, that's kind of the things that he, he, he does. But over that Monday night game, we just saw him stay within himself. Uh, he started out 0 for 3, and then he rattled off 11 straight completions and seemed to really find his groove um, from that point forward. So uh, I know the numbers for Dak Prescott are, are pretty pretty glaring, particularly as it relates to interceptions. He's thrown a career high. I think his final count was 15 in the regular season. Uh, that's a career high, but uh, there's a lot of context to that where you know receivers really had a hand in several of them. Uh, he's been better overall than people might think, but that was certainly the best Prescott we've seen. Michael, are you friends with Adam Hill? <laughs> we, we go back a ways. Yeah. This is, all right, so we're, just, we're having it's, a problem it's on It's a the running show. theme on the show today. Yeah, we, we had Eric Eager on earlier today, and I, I'm familiar with Eric as he is with me, but he said goodbye only to Adam earlier on the show today, yeah. so we're having a little <laughs> bit of an issue, you know? I'm a very popular guy. Uh, like, what, what is the concern that, that that Week 18 Dak Prescott appears at some point? You know, I think he's past it. Um, I, I do. And there is also something to be said for a playoff game plan relative to what the Cowboys had in that game where, you know, when they faced the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football in the first round, you could tell, and there was excitement leading up uh, during the week of practice, you could just tell that the coaching staff had put together a, a plan where they were, they were putting it all out there in terms of, like, there's a, this back, uh, there's a personal uh, sub personal sub-package called MAC, M-A-C, and it's with Connor McGovern as a fullback. Cowboys have failed that against the Buccaneers. Like they, they were specifically like doing things that they hadn't done before to just really lean into winning that football game in, in a way that we didn't see against the Commanders. So I think it's, it's not just Dak Prescott staying on track. It's also the coaching staff staying on track. And with the stakes and, and all that come with the, po- the postseason, um, I don't think that would at all be a concern going into Levi Stadium on Sunday. So, when, when you when you look at this matchup, what is the most concerning thing for the Cowboys about what the 49ers do? They're so good in so many areas, uh, but what is the biggest cause of concern going into this game? I would say how physical the 49ers are. That's probably a good place to start. I think it encapsulates you know Joey Bosa uh, in that defense, as disciplined and sound as they are. They're very physical. Uh, but obviously on offense is where your attention first goes because yards after contact in the run game, yards after catch in the passing game, they're just so adept at steamrolling opponents, which is exactly what they've done over the past couple months. So the the, the, the 49ers are, are legit. There's a, there's a, a complete total respect the Cowboys have for the 49ers, but they do feel like in this, heavyweight rematch of a first-round playoff game last year when the Cowboys were one-and-done and housed at their own stadium, they feel like they have a, a better puncher's chance this time because they know what to expect. Uh, they're better for the experience of the young football team, and they probably, with this officiating crew that they drew on Sunday, aren't going to at all come close to their playoff record, 14 penalties that they committed last What's your evaluation of this Cowboys pass rush and where it's at at this point right now? Because uh, we go out on a limb and say against a rookie quarterback, a dominant pass rush could come in handy. Yeah, yeah. If you were to ask me how can the Cowboys win this game, it's probably where my attention first goes. Is Brock Purdy is, I mean, well-deserving of Adam's uh, vote for the illustrious <laughs> NFC rookie quarterback of the year. Uh, what what a category. Uh, sure. But, no, he's, 
I can't believe it. I, and I, I need to take a look at the ballot uh, more close. I don't think I'd, I'd probably pass the due date. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think Purdy is it's the total polar opposite of what the Cowboys face first round of the postseason, where they go against Tom Brady, who has seen absolutely everything. You could disguise something, but he's seen your disguise before. You can't fool him. And you go from that to now Brock Purdy, who's only started several games in his NFL career, you know, the rookie, Mr. Relevant, all that. Uh, he might not be playing like a rookie. Like, he truly is. You see his confidence. You see his composure. You see his sense of rhythm and timing within Kyle Shanahan's offense. He's got command and all that. So he's not, you know, just this guy off the street. That said, he is a rookie. And Dan Quinn has all kinds of tools in his bag to try to confuse and disrupt. And ultimately, hopefully they hope, you know, the Cowboys hope, get some takeaways out of this game. And that's the key. If they can make him uncomfortable and force some takeaways, they have a chance, just based on numbers alone of, of having more possession and better field position than the 49ers. So that's how the Cowboys can win this game. With Micah Parsons, keep an eye on number 11. He'll be at left end. He'll be at right end. He'll be inside linebacker, mugging the A-gap, making it look like he's blitzing when he's not blitzing, or blitzing when he looks like he's blitzing. Just doing everything he can to get him Brock Purdy's head. That's the game plan for the Cowboys. Michael Galkin, you can follow him up on Twitter, Galkin NFL, and read his stuff in the Dallas Morning News. Uh, I want to step away from the game for a second. Uh, you mentioned Tom Brady a couple times. You saw him. Is he? Does he have anything left for next year? I think there's some local interest in that question. Well, I think so. Um, uh, yeah, he just does such a good job of you know what makes him great or things that he can just continue to do and continue to do. He's so quick with the football of his hand. He's so cerebral. He's so accurate. Uh, yeah, I think there's no doubt that if he's so inclined, he could play another season. Uh, whether that's where he is mentally, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, and, I, and I'm too far removed from Tom Brady. I never covered him uh, personally to really know what's going on inside his head. But, yeah, if he wants to give it a go someplace, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, based on what I saw even at the end of his season, um, that he's a type of quarterback still at his age that can lead an organization in the postseason. Speaking of guys potentially moving to the AFC West, how much of a potential distraction is is Dan Quinn interviewing uh, for a job, and and what are the chances that he is with Denver next year? I don't think it's a huge distraction. I mean, albeit it's not ideal when you think of a short week of preparation, but we're talking on Friday, and the game plan is is in the barn. Um, And the Cowboys will practice on, 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 on Saturday. Um, before they head out to Santa Clara, but you know, they're, they're, you know, you're talking about a, a fairly short interview with a couple teams. And Dan Quinn told us today that all the preparation that he needed to do for any interviews, he'll have he's taken care of uh, back in the spring and summer before the season began. Um, so he's not having to spend a whole lot of brain power on preparing for these clubs. And the clubs know, and the Broncos already interviewed Dan Quinn last year, so it's probably more about ownership getting to know a guy that they love, and Dan Quinn. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Broncos take the full-court press to hire Dan Quinn. Uh, whether he takes it, we'll see. But the fact that he's interviewing, that's probably a good sign for Bronco, Broncos fans. How? I mean, I'm sure this, this has been brought up a million times this week, but how much concern is there about the kicking game for the Cowboys? Well, there has to be a little bit. And he, <laughs> and Brett Maher has been sensational this season. Um, you know, the four missed extra points. I mean, let's just talk about what he did beforehand for some context. 
He was 29 of 32 on, on, on field goals. Two of those three misses were from 59 yards. He was 50 of 53 on extra points. Two of those three missed extra points were actually blocked. They were 50 of 51. We're talking about a guy who missed one extra point, and actually was a low snap on that, and he missed a 46-yard field goal. Those were, you know, so he's been about as good as you could ask for for an NFL picker. He had a bad game, really disastrous game, a historically atrocious game of missing four <laughs> extra points. So it's not making any excuse, but I think the body of work that the Cowboys see gives them largely optimism, and I say largely because it's one thing for Brett Maher to impress and practice after those struggles, and he did. Uh, he was like that when we saw him at media on, on, on Friday, and he made, or probably on Thursday, he made six field goals in like 20 mile per hour win while the guy they signed to the practice squad, he was four for five, or three for five. So he's impressed in practice since then, but not until you get him on the game environment, back on the playoff stage, you really know that he's passed those struggles. So maybe a little bit of discomfort, but I think overall, Cowboys sideline will, I, when he's up there for the first time for short extra point, players are going to be noticing. But I think once they believe that he'll get through it and they're somewhat holding their breath and believe that he will. Michael, we're up against it, but uh, thanks for the time, man. Really appreciate it. You bet. Take care, guys. Thanks, guys, man. yeah. Take care, thanks, guys. Friend. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks care, friend. Thanks, friend. Appreciate it. Michael Gelkin, my new friend, uh, Cowboys reporter for the uh, Dallas Morning News. <laughs> Good guy there. We'll take a break. Come back. Steve Cofield joins us on the other side from Fresno. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar is the spot, T.I., on this Friday. Jonathan Von Tobel, Adam Hill, alongside with me out here in Sin City. And welcome, oh man, look at this guy. And I would say one of the best cat secrets in America, Fresno, California, Steve Cofield. What's up, Steve? Are you, are, are you jealous? Uh, I kind of am. I, Adam didn't believe me. As you know, I have family in that area, My all my in-laws. I like that area of California. I enjoy it. I think it's good, especially the old spaghetti factory out there in Fresno. That's a chain restaurant. <laughs> it's, it's got, a, it's got okay. a good classic feel out but, there in Fresno. But we don't have them, so. Right. That, I thought there I, was I, one. You, you, there's one with the gallery, isn't there? No. Okay. Dude, how old are you? I think, I that, I think was. that was out ten. I thought that was out ten years ago. Well, there was, it's, been like four, it's been like four different places since. Maybe they reopened. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I wouldn't go to one anyway. I'm just saying it's, you can't yeah, cite a so. place as being good because there's a chain restaurant. There's there. a certain mystique about the Spaghetti Factory out in uh, Fresno. Yes, yes. And there's lots of other things to do. There's a lot of good dive bars in Fresno. It's fine. That's there, actually the area of Fresno I have not like tried yet. Is yeah. like the dive bar area of Fresno. I've wanted to. I keep pushing my wife to allow me to take the train from Merced to Fresno because I've never been on a train before, and I've like wanted to experience that and the nightlife in Fresno, but she'll never let me. Well, next time UNLV's uh, in Fresno for football or basketball, let's get you on the road trip. It's a fun time. Oh, yeah. It's not. I can't wait. I feel like it's got to be more fun than San Jose. No, I love San Jose. I don't know well, about that. Yeah, it's, it's, okay. Let's not get crazy. I mean, the air. Look, I'm always enjoying the of the uh, you know amenities that I was given when I was out there on the road trip. They did stick us like next to a freeway in the middle of nowhere out there in San Jose, so maybe I missed out on that. By part. the airport? Uh, I don't know. Steve will know it better than I will. But it yeah, was he, like, it was um, it was a little north of San Jose proper, so he didn't get to hang out. It was in Fremont, 
So he didn't get to hang out near oh, downtown. If you're, if you're near, yeah, if you're near downtown, we've well, I found a good place. You got the problem is you guys found a barbecue place, which will go unnamed because there's one in Vegas. But you found a barbecue place, and it just wasn't very good. Very true. Very true. Yeah. There's a great barbecue place right next to the uh, San Jose Sharks Arena. But it was also my first trip out there, like my first trip ever. So, like, I didn't have the nerve like I did in later trips to go, let me borrow the car. Come on. (laughs) You know? So We also got there very late. That's a very good point. Very good point. Yeah. We got got there at, like, 7, and it felt like the sidewalks were rolling up in Fremont at, like, 9. So So, these things happen. The uh, the first world problems of traveling, covering sports, real rough. That's right. That's right. Um, So... I'm, I'm glad we're having you on because you and I discussed a topic yesterday, and we had this as the number one of the big four, but we did not get to expand upon it. So we've talked ad nauseum about the Brady to Vegas angle, and that seems to be the most popular angle out there. But I was asking the question, Steve, which is why is the Brady to New York storyline not more popular? Is it just the Josh McDaniels King thing? Because I go back to what I talked to you about yesterday. Like if we're talking about maximum, like maximizing your championship window if you're old and brittle and need to do that, how is it not the New York Jets that are the favorite to land him? I think you nailed it. It's McDaniels. That's it. Yeah, that's, the, that's, the, that's the tie. I mean, I think you want to make the argument that the Jets are more ready to win now than the Raiders are next year, but I'm not willing to do that. Oh, I, th- I mean, I, I, what do you think? I think so, because I think if you're the Raiders, you have to take steps to shore up your defense. Like, the pieces are in place for the New York Jets to be maximized by a quarterback like Tom Brady. Sure. I, I think – I think that's true. I, I would say that Brady is probably looking at the offensive weapons of the Raiders and saying that's pretty ideal uh, in terms of step into an offense. The offensive line probably not ready quite yet, but uh, the weapons are there. Uh, but I also feel like this is, this is not only a reunion with McDaniels, but also a business decision to establish his residency in a place where he doesn't have to pay taxes now that he's a single man. All right. I mean, I guess his kids live out in New York area too. That's the other tie that I was Even better to get there. to Vegas. Yep, be as far away as possible. No, I mean, like I said, he he really is tight with his kids. We saw in some of the videos. He sure. kisses but, them on uh, the lips. Yeah, there is no more. There's no more wife around to you know decide where they want to live or what team he's going to play for. TB12 can finally do what he wants. I, I won't make the same joke again, but he's like you said, he's very close to the children. Too close. <laughs> One would argue. All right, on the other side, Stanford Rat's going to join us. I'll get his thoughts, of course, on the Brady saga, where he might end up, and uh, his thoughts on what Trevor Lawrence had to say about noise on the road. I told y'all this on Tuesday. This was coming. Byron Leftwich was going to lose it, that he was going to lose his job because Tom Brady played bad this year. So the same guy that led you to three division titles, the same guy that called every single play when you won the Super Bowl, that same Byron Leftwich, now he lost his job. Because why? It's always, if Tom Brady does not succeed, it's always got to be somebody else's fault. It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Routes on Cofield and Company. You hear Shannon Sharp and his thoughts on Byron Leftwich, of course, undisputed on FS1. Stanford Route joins us now here on Cofield and Company. Steve Cofield is alongside. He's out there in Fresno. It's John and Adam as well. Stanford, it's good to talk to you. So can we expand on that really quickly? Not only Shannon's point of, you know, it's never Tom Brady's fault. Uh, but the fact that black coaches, black assistant coaches, seem to have to be held to a much higher standard, and when there is any sort of slippage, black coaches seem to have a pretty short leash, and they're out. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> was that a question or a statement? 
Well, I'm, 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 I'm expanding on that. Like, it doesn't seem to be getting any better when it comes to some of these guys like a Byron Leftwich, who a year ago uh, was, you know, looking at a job for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Is there going to be any change here at this point? Because it seems to be out in the open and very obvious, but we still keep seeing this. I mean, yeah, I think that's something that will probably be that it'll probably be that same dynamic probably for the foreseeable future. Uh, I think there's no way getting around that. That's just how it is. That's why for a lot of minority coaches, when they have the opportunity to become a head coach, they have to go ahead and jump on it rather than go ahead and just wait for the perfect situation or what have you. But I think also it's also the superstar effect. You know, when you're coaching a Tom Brady, when you're coaching an Aaron Rodgers, when you're coaching a, one of these top quarterbacks, whether it's right now currently or just historically for that matter, for the longevity of uh, Tom Brady's career, whenever they don't play well, heads are going to roll. We see how Russell Wilson played in Denver this past season. And guess what? Nathaniel Hackett was fired. So anytime these top-notch guys, they don't play well, a lot of GMs, a lot of owners are going to wonder, okay, why is he not playing well? It has to be the person who's in, ahead of him. It has to be the person to call in the plays rather than it just simply that, you know what? Maybe that star quarterback just simply did not play well this season. Well, watching that game with Tom Brady throwing the ball, I don't know, 184 times in that yeah. game, uh, were you thinking, hey, that's a guy I want to see on the Raiders' sidelines next year? I mean, I would put that game so much on everybody from the Tampa Bay organization where it just looked like so many guys on that on that team, it looked like so many guys on that field just weren't ready to play and really didn't want to play. They're completely on different pages, and – when you look at how Tampa Bay is structured, ever since they won the Super Bowl, you've seen everything go downhill. And that's one of the reasons why Tom Brady retired uh, last year, in my opinion, for those six weeks, because Tom Brady is used to structure. And there's no team in the NFL that gives you that type of structure other than the New England Patriots. So when you ask that question about what I want to see him in the black and silver, no, I wouldn't just because I think Tom Brady would be frustrated being in the black and silver because he's used to everything being dotting your I's, crossing your T's, structure. And there's too many teams in the league that are loosey-goosey, that are a little bit loose with it, that aren't all the way buttoned up. Me personally, I know it's not going to happen because too much of a coming to Jesus moment would be required for it to happen. I would love to see Tom Brady go back to the New England Patriots. Do you, feel, do you think that Tom Brady is still a guy who will raise the floor of a team and make them a championship contender just by walking in the door? I don't know about just walking into the door, but I do believe that Tom Brady is still right now a top 12 quarterback. I don't think that he's sitting over there being one of the back-end guys or a scrub or anything like that. I think that if you block for him, I think that if everybody is buttoned up, everybody is on the same page, you have a good offensive play caller, everybody is doing what they need to do to protect him and also giving him the weapons around him, I do believe Tom Brady still can lead you to a championship, yes. Uh, this is a you know interesting time of year for teams like the Raiders that are not in the playoffs watching all these uh, games that are out there. I want to talk a little bit about the games that are going on, but um, if you are a player on a team you know that was not in the playoffs and you know, you've been there before during your career, what what is this time of year like? Are you completely checking out of football? Are you trying to ignore it? Are you trying to watch these playoff games? What are you doing? Uh, I think that really just comes down to the person, the individual, and their mindset. Uh, for me, that was something that I used to always like to watch some of the playoff games. Now, I would not watch them as intuitively as I do now, 
but it was something that I definitely cannot just simply go the entire month of January in the first part of February with just simply not watching anything. No, I can't do that. I'm still going to go ahead and watch because I love the game of football. And I have various friends around the league, guys that I played with, guys that I played against, and I want to go ahead and check them out, see how they're doing, go ahead and root them on. So it really just boils down to uh, that person, that individual, their mindset. For me, I would still go ahead and watch the games, not extensively from beginning to end, but I'm still going to watch enough. That way I can see who won, who played well, things like that. Stanford Rowdy is with us. He does the Believe in Raider podcast uh, with Dennis Ackerman. You can listen to that weekly on all the podcast platforms. All right, give me the scenario where the Jags can beat Kansas City. Oh, they're going to have to make sure that they take care of the ball. They're going to have to have ball control, try to have those long, sustaining drives, like how you basically saw the uh, the blueprint of how the Indianapolis Colts seem to always beat the Chiefs. Number one, like I said, you got to take care of the ball. You got to make sure that you take away the deep ball. You got to take away the shot plays that Kansas City likes to do. You got to pressure Pat Mahomes, and then you have to be able to capitalize. If there is an opportunity to get a turnover, whether it's a loose ball on the ground, Jacksonville has to make sure they get on top of it. If there's a ball that somehow gets tipped in the air, Jacksonville has to be able to come down with it. They have to make sure that they capitalize on every opportunity that they can, but also they're going to have to get those long, sustaining drives because if they're on the field, that means Patrick Mahomes is not. So that's how you get Kansas City out of their rhythm by simply not allowing them to get down the field up and down in a hurry. I can't imagine Arrowhead Stadium will be much louder than Jacksonville last Saturday. Those are the words of Trevor Lawrence. Can you explain to him uh, how loud Arrowhead gets? Or is he right? Is he right? Arrowhead is loud, but it's not that loud. Well, trust me, Arrowhead is pretty loud. I can tell you that from uh, from my years being there as a Raider, obviously, but for the little bit of time I was there as a Chief. So you got Kansas City, Seattle, those type of stadiums. Man, the way that that stadium is designed, and especially with it being in more of a college town in Kansas City, Missouri, everybody in the city goes to that game. And so it is going to be rocking. So anybody with that Jacksonville Jaguars helmet, that uniform, it's going to definitely be a new experience, especially for Trevor Lawrence. Three offensive linemen down. We know Lala Collins. That's the third. He's been out for the year. Uh, How bad does this get for Cincinnati with these offensive line issues going into Buffalo? They're going to have to make sure they get the ball out quick. I think that uh, you're going to have to try to go ahead and spread out Buffalo. Do not allow them to really pin their ears back and get that pass rush going against Joe Burrow. I do believe that Cincinnati still can win this game. It's going to be tougher on Cincinnati to try to win this game because Joe Burrow, he's not going to be able to just sit back and throw that deep ball, sit back and throw that second-level ball like he loves to do because you're going to have to make sure that you account for not having three, that 60% of your starting offensive line against that Buffalo pass rush. And then I think you're going to have to see guys like uh, uh, guys like Mixon, see guys like Samaje Perrine, where they keep them in a little bit more, maybe the tight end to go ahead and try to get a little bit of a chip, things like that. If ever you want to go down the field and maybe like a max pro type of situation, things like that. But there's still a, an opportunity for Cincinnati to win this game because Buffalo has not been buttoned up all all this year the way that they should have. We've seen Josh Allen. He's been a little bit loosey-goosey with the football, with some of his turnovers. And then Buffalo, you see that Stephon Diggs, we already know he's a stud. 
but too many more of the playmakers on the offense side of the ball, they disappear sometimes. Gabriel Davis, we all know a great talent, good player, but there's sometimes where he just simply goes to sleep. Seems like he disappears, like he's not all the way being a part of the game plan. So I still believe that Cincinnati has a very, very good opportunity to win this game. They're just going to have to modify their approach on the offense side of the ball. Is there anything to take from the few plays and possessions that we saw between these two? Because it did seem that Cincinnati was moving the ball with ease against Buffalo when we did get to see them before the game stopped. I mean, I think that you can go ahead and just take away the simple fact that Cincinnati's a good team. They got a great quarterback with Joe Burrow, and obviously we see Zach Taylor being the guy at the helm, knows what he's doing as far as getting this offense in the right position. But if you got Joe Burrow, you got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Board, Mixon in the backfield, you got that nucleus of players, you're going to be able to put up some points. You're going to be able to move the ball on anybody in the NFL. And when you really look at roster to roster on the offense side of the ball as far as that firepower as far as that potency that high octane on the offense side of the ball i i give cincinnati a good chance to win against anybody in the league this is a an odd question we've never really had to discuss before so sorry for just throwing it on you but how would a team prepare both teams really for the possible emotional just craziness if tamar hamlin takes that field on on you know at the game and fires up the crowd, and he's there, and everybody's nuts, and I'm sure the Buffalo players would have emotion. I'm sure the Cincinnati players would have emotion. How can you prepare for something like that as a player? I'm not even sure how you would be able to prepare for something like that as a player. I, obviously, you would give a standing ovation just for everything that transpired just a few short weeks ago, and if he's able to go ahead and do exactly what you're just saying, I think that would be a great thing. And I think that, you know, all in all, we all see exactly what has come of this. We see what has now transpired. And obviously we see something went from being tragic to now triumphant. And you can't do anything but tip your hat to them. But uh, to your point, in this game, this is for the opportunity to play in the AFC title game. Again, for Cincinnati and the same thing for Buffalo. So that's going to always be at the forefront of the objective. And you got to find a way to still push forward. Stanford Rapp is with us on Cofield and Company. When you watch, and you know your perspective on quarterbacks is unique because you, you you played defensive back in the National Football League. When you watch Brock Purdy, are you like, ah, oh, boy, this guy's really good, or is he a product of the system? I think that Brock Purdy obviously has some talent. There's no doubt about it. Him being at Iowa State for the lengthy amount of time that he was, clearly he understands being on a big stage. Maybe not this big of a stage, but I think that obviously he can make the throws on the football field. There's no doubt about that. But when you now pair him with a Kyle Shanahan who simply knows how to manipulate players he knows how to manipulate individuals he knows how to manipulate matchups that right there is a perfect combination because brock purdy also knows that okay i don't need to go out here and play like dan marino i need to go out here get the ball to my playmakers whenever it's asked of me to make a really good throw i gotta be able to do that i gotta be able to show up but that's not something that i have to do play in and play out i got trent williams one of the best left tackles of this generation i got christian mccaffrey in the backfield i got iu i got my man george kittle and then we got my man i got my man debo so I have all the tools that I need. All I got to do is just simply don't wreck the car, don't drive it off the curb, do not sit up here, take this Lamborghini and wrap it around a tree, and we're going to be just fine come Sunday afternoon. Stanford, I got like 20 seconds left. If the Cowboys lose to the Niners and especially lose badly, is Sean Payton the coach next year? Is McCarthy out? 
Ooh, if they lose badly, there is a very good opportunity that it could be. Stanford, thank you for the time. Appreciate it, man. Hey, you guys be good. I'll talk to you next week. There Thanks, you go. Man. Appreciate it very much. So Stanford Route, former NFL pro, and of course, Believe in Raiders podcast where you can find the work there. All right, third hour, Cofield and Company. Remember, uh, we are at Golden Circle inside TI. So if you're in the area, come on down. we got tickets for you. We've got T-shirts and other prizes. You can give Adam a hug, um, slap him on the back, tell him what's up. But we got a lot of headlines to get to in the third hour. We're going to get to uh, UNLV's road trip up in Fresno and uh, the reinforcements they might be getting to help them get out of this slump that they have been in.